So <clears throat> how did your, how did the Fernal parents approach that? We approached it, I think, pretty much the same as all the parents did. It was the parents as guardians, and uh, we should caution your listeners that once our beloved people got to be 18 years old, being right. a parent meant zero. Right, and we did, by the way, George, we did do a podcast on guardianship and it was more of, it was a very, you know, high level, not deep in the weeds type of thing. But one of the things I did mention is, is that in Massachusetts, when your loved one turns 18, you're no longer their parent <laughs> legally. Well, and you can make no decisions at that point. Right. They're, they're considered to be uh, of majority and able to make their own decision. And in particular, if they couldn't, there would have been a court appointed guardian. Correct, exactly. So, so you using the title, I am the parent is meaningless in the court system. The, the, right. the department would say, are you his guardian? No, I am his mother or I am his father. Don't work. You've got to be the guardian. Right. But we're not going to talk to you. We're not going to uh, negotiate with you. Find us the guardian. Well, if there's no guardian, then he's obviously competent to make his own decision. Right. And, mo and you know, it, 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 to this day, George, parents that I do talk to, especially the younger parents and things along those lines, I'm going to be doing a podcast with a friend of mine that I grew up with um, that knew my brother. We were, we were good friends. Our, 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 both our moms were best friends. And so he grew up with Christopher as I grew up with Christopher. And I remember having that conversation with him when his son, Michael, turned, I want to say maybe 12 or 13 years old. And I said to him, I said, you know, Rich, what are your plans for the future for Michael? And of course, his, like any other parent, he said, Michael's going to be with us. And we know that, you know, Michael's always going to live with us and all that. I said, are you, are you aware that when Michael turns 18, you no longer can make any decisions or you, you basically don't exist in the eyes of the state and things along those lines. And they were not aware. They, pay, they, they paid heed, they listened, and they went out. And when the day, I think it was right around when Michael turned 18, they had that, you know, they had that guardianship in place. So, right. But the problem is at, at the Fernal Center, the parents were substantially older, so Correct. most of them did have the guardianship, but this got to be the point of this parent that says that my profoundly retarded child is going to live with me all of his life, forgets the fact that at that point in time, the parent is probably... 25, 30, 35 years older than. Yep. So the odds are that this person is going to need a place to live after you pass. Or you become physically incapacitated and can't exactly. take care and, of them. And yeah. can't take care of them. So I don't want to discuss how many other siblings came to me realizing that as the parent got frail 
they had to step stepping in with their brother, right, or, or sister. Uh, you and I are old enough to still be using the wrong uh, generic pronouns <laughs> up and down the line and the wrong name for the department. But hey, that goes with the territory if you want to listen to us gray hairs. <laughs> so you talk to these people about, are you the guardian? No, I'm not the guardian. I'm his sister. Uh, you got to become the guardian. Right. Oh, my mother will never let me do that. She, she and dad are the guardians. No, but you just said they're getting up there in years. You got to make plans to become the guardian. Oh, I can't do that. Mom will never let me become Joey's guardian. Uh, yeah. it, sorry, the department's not going to listen to you. Right. And you know, as far as siblings, taking over for guardianship of their brothers and sisters. I can tell you that as, as an advocate over the years, I have made many attempts to try to create a sibling network type of idea and to bring this. And it is, it never ceases to amaze me how difficult that it is to get any siblings involved. And it's not that they don't love their brothers and sisters and, and, and so forth. But it's the parents that say, your brother or sister is not your burden. Right. They are our burden. And I remember, and my, and, and of course, you knew my father and you knew my father very well. And, he's, and, and he could be a very stubborn, very stubborn man. And I remember I had a discussion with him and I said, dad, at some point, you and mom can't be, at least both of you can't be guardian of Christopher anymore. And that was met, and, and, and he's an advocate for also asking parents, are you the guardian of this individual? So he goes back to the dad mode and says, no, 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 that's, you have your life, you're going to have your kids, you're going to do what you need to do, you can't be worried about your brother. And I remember, you know, it was, it was a tough conversation, and it was more than one conversation, and it finally came to him, he said, you know what, you're right. And it came to him when my mom got really, really sick and ended up in a nursing home. Um, so she really wasn't, in, you know, she wasn't, didn't have the capacity to be, quote, the guardian anymore. So that opened the door for me to become co-guardian. But it, it, even for somebody who was so well-versed in advocacy and had done 50 plus years of work with, with, with parents and, and these individuals, he still couldn't buy into that. No, and uh, in, in my case, uh, personally, I never had to. Uh, I, believe, I believe in Joanna's case, her uncle from the other side of the family died before my mother. So it was a case of I stepped in to help my mother right. uh, being, being co-guardians, uh, which even when uh, Walter on, on the father's side, her uncle, Joanna's uncle Walter was involved. Uh, he always pounded all that work off on my mother being Joanna's a girl, you're a girl, you do exactly, it. Exactly, right, right. But the other thing I was going to say is besides the, uh, the emotion of the child, the, the sibling has got his own family, you can't get involved. It was also the fear that there was money involved. 
and parents could not accept the idea that as a guardian, you are responsible for your ward's finances, but you right. are not liable to supplement that money. Right. You can't abscond with it, but at the same time, you're not responsible to add to it. And they could not understand that difference. And that right. was the second half of the argument. Um, so we were working on telling people that kind of stuff and stepping back to Judge Toro's uh, disengagement orders. And even prior to that, the object was that if the department wanted to move you out, they had to provide equal or better. And the question gets to be that the families had the right to deny uh, what in their minds was equal or better. I personally think that the Commonwealth of Massachusetts made a very major mistake in trying to use that equal or better and the family because they had the caveat that if you move out and you do not like that particular home, we will, we will work with you to try and find another home in the neighborhood for your ward, but we are not gonna allow you to go back to Fernald or you name the other facility you're not going back. It's a one-way street. Right. Now, if, if they left this option, that if it don't work out, uh, guardian, and it, uh, let's let them go back to, we're talking about Fernal because I'm involved. Sure. If they had given the, the parents an option of come out in the community, try it. If you don't like it, go back. Well, a lot more people would have tried it and some percentage would have liked it. Right. Families put up the ironclad, I'm not moving, don't talk to me. Right. Well, the state's second error in that thing was the question of, would you like to consider moving if we presented the facts to you? Yes. Okay, that goes one in the yes column. Would you like to consider the options available? Maybe. That's another yes. Uh, would you like to consider? Uh, I think about it, a third yes. And now we have an overwhelming set of statistics that all the parents are in favor of moving out and only an insignificant amount are saying absolutely no. And you know, George, you bring that up, and I remember, I, I remember hearing that at one of the Fernal League meetings that I was up at, and I could not wait to call a meeting for my parents as quickly as I could. I remember putting it in the newsletter, and everything, any possible way, you know, prior to social media, that I could put it out there. And I told the parents, "You're going to be asked these questions," and they were like, "What? Three or four of them?" You know, and I don't remember the exact wording, but I told them. Even if you can, if even if you're 
considering the community for your loved one, answer no to every one of those questions. Because if you say maybe, it automatically went into the yes column. Yep. You were enthusiastic. Highly and I also told my I also told my parents, and it was written in my brother's uh, ISP because at the end you have the opportunity to make additional comments. And I remember the comments that I would make every single time. And even for the, the couple of people that I were guardian that I was guardian of at Hogan, is is that under no circumstances do I agree to leave the facility for a community group home. Well, we didn't ask you that. I want that in the ISP because right. that folks is the legal document that everybody, the playbook that everybody's supposed to work from. You may, you may not, you can stop me if you don't like this little tangent that I'm on, but my mom passed away in 1990. 1991 and so that made me the co-guardian without the influence of uh, Joanna's uncle Walter I I was co-guardian in name but I was guardian in authority so I looked around probably in the late 90s based on a mutual friend of ours Mary McTurnan whose daughter lived in a group home in Linfield. And right. There was, yep. an opening, there was an opening in the house uh, and I explored the possibility of moving Joanna to this home because I knew the two parents that were co-guardians of the people that lived there. Uh, but the answer turned out to be no because uh, they had already committed this vacancy to another another person. And so the answer for Joanna was no. Okay. Uh, but there was still a certain amount of rumbling about closure of Fernald. So they tried to offer me a, a, a placement in Reading, um, maybe North Reading. And there were three people that I believe were gonna come from so the Hogan Center up in Danvers where you were affiliated and you were not involved with these discussions, but they were even willing at the time to get me a meeting to see these three individuals. And they were supposed to be kind of like Joanna's condition, uh, people that would be compatible with living. Well, I guess I never really met the three of them completely. And I got a telephone call from a member of the Hogan group that you were heading up, uh, a Carol Milley, who at that time was living up in Maine, but she was still very, very active in the care of her child, which, uh, her name was Beth, I think. The child's uh, name yes. was Beth. Yep. It was. And I think uh, Mr. Milley had already passed, um, say, late 90s. I think you're right. Yeah. Okay. 
So Carol Milley called me up and said, hey, I think you're thinking of moving Joanna to a house up in North Reading and three people are coming down from Hogan to be there. Yes, you can't do that. You don't understand. The three people are severely medically challenged. Joanna cannot live with those three. If she does, she will be restricted to get no more services than those three. She's a much higher active, uh, interested young lady than those three who are almost bedridden. Right. The answer to the question, George, is no. You are no longer interested in those three people. Case closed. Thank you, Mrs. Milley. Uh, and I hung up the phone, <laughs> called up the Fernal Center and said, uh, the possibility of a meeting is now off. And it was like, how did he find out? Right. Who told him that? He's not supposed to find out that we're giving him a con job. Well, I found out. Sorry. Yep. So that was the end of that. Now, skipping around a little bit to 2005, the lady that had taken the uh, fourth apartment in, in the home in Linfield passes away on maybe a Wednesday or a Thursday night of a, of a given week. Our mutual friend, Mary McTurnan calls me up and says, uh, Mandy just passed away. And if you want that fourth opening at the house in Linfield, you should move on it quickly and talk to the people at Fernal that this opening came and you want Joanna there because the handwriting was already on the wall. I had to look around. It was a nice house. I knew the, I knew the co-guardians. I knew the yep. people that lived there. And so I jumped on it Friday morning. Called up uh, the area director. Uh, he's on taking a vacation day. He'll be in on Monday. Okay, I'll talk to him uh, on Monday. In the middle of the day, I got a call from the Fernal quarter, the coordinator that was working with me, said, you left a message, you wanted to talk to me. Yes, I did. I have an understanding that there's a house available in Linfield, and I want to know if I can get this vacancy in Linfield for Joanna. Now, you got to understand this question is, can I have relocation to that house in Linfield? I am not interested in any other house in the area. It's either that house or Joanna is staying at Fernal. This is a yes and no question. Well, I'll call the area director. No, he's on vacation <laughs> Friday. He'll be in on Monday. Don't bother to call him. Okay, um, so this is about two or three o'clock on a Friday afternoon. My guy is all excited at the Fernal Center. 
and he goes running up within the administration building to not only to Peter O'Mara as the facility director, but also the regional coordinator of closing Fernal, saying, you'll never guess the call I just got from George. And George would like to move Joanna to Linfield. Think we can do it. What can we do from this end? Can't call Dan Lincoln at the at the Wakefield office. He's taken a vacation day. How does George know that there's an opening in Linfield? He knows. Mandy just died last night. How does he know? I don't know how he knows, but he told me that there's an opening. Now, you got to remember that in 2005, we're in the middle of the negotiations of not only the, of the closure, but also the involvement of Beryl Cohen and Judge Toro and trying yep. to fight this in the court system. Yep. Well, there's nothing better to do than get rid of the pain. Exactly. In the butt. Uh, how does he know? I don't know how he knows. So Diane Enox, who's the uh, regional director at Fernald, she knows uh, who the key, the key director is in the area. And as I bring up all these people's names, you'll have to forgive me. I forget them for the first couple minutes and that name will come to me in a while. That's fine, don't worry. <laughs> so. Uh, so Diane Enox quickly gets on her cell phone, a brand new invention of the time, calls this woman who's shopping in some mall somewhere up on the North Shore, also a vacation day on a nice Friday morning, well, Friday afternoon. Uh, well, he wants to move out of Fernal. Well, you know, we have to wait the appropriate grieving time for the poor lady that just died. We can't just do it over the weekend, but, uh, you know, well, uh, have we got anybody in mind for this apartment? Is there a waiting list? No, there's no waiting list. Um, well, you know, if, if George is willing to wait the appropriate time, uh, I guess so. Well, they tell my man to call me back and by four o'clock, I'm still in the office working. Sir, we can take care of you in Linfield. You can move, yep. but you can't move till we go through the proper grieving period. I said, yep, that's okay. Joanna is due for her second cataract operation incidentally, and she's gonna stay at Fernal cause she's gonna be done by the same surgeon that did the first one. So she's not moving till she gets her cataracts taken care of. So there's no rush. Right. As long as we're on the list, there's no rush because it's not going to happen this month. Oh, okay. So here we have 24 hours after Mary McTurnan calls me and gives me a clue. <laughs> and it's got an apartment. Exactly. Okay. So maybe it paid off to be active in the Fernal League and be aggressive to help all of the students that live there. Uh, Joanna got some personal benefit, okay, 
but it's based on my work since 1991, give or take a day. And but George, if I remember correctly, if I remember correctly, when Joanna did move and they all thought we're finally going to get rid of George Marvitas. Well, the fact is, is that George never gave up his advocacy oh. and he still remained and, and to this day still remains to be a pain in the butt. <laughs> it's another error. Exactly. Another error because they certainly Little did they know that, that, that SOP was going. Yep. Yeah. Oh, exactly. not about that. That's exactly. Why, that's why what they color do you want on the walls, George? <laughs> that's why they opened the door. I mean, my my poor guy was in the basement of the administration building and he had to run up to the first floor with the good news. I right. mean I mean, our listeners really need to understand appointments to Linfield if she needed them. Exactly. Exactly. 